Okay, everyone, welcome to this uh, workshop webinar on staying focused on your PhD. Uh, it is interactive, so please feel free to open your mic and open your video if you want to uh, reach out yeah. and ask a question. Uh, this is being recorded for, um, oops, this is being recorded for my YouTube channel and for my podcast. So just bear that in mind. If you're sharing examples, try to de-identify them, but there will be an opportunity to change things up later on if there is a problem. Uh, in, like I said, it is recorded. Open your mic. I think that's everything that I wanted to cover. Um, if I notice that there's a bit of noise on the line, I'll probably mute you if it's getting a bit excessive. So I think, firstly, problems in PhDs are like bums. Uh, or distractions are like butts. Everyone's got one. So I don't think you need to feel unusual that you have distractions. Everyone will have them and it's a matter of dealing with them. So uh, hopefully this will give you some ways of dealing with them. And like I said, I want this to be interactive. So if you have specific distraction challenges for you, feel free to open up anytime and say, you know, how do you deal with this? Or how did you deal with this? Or what do you recommend that I do in terms of dealing with this distraction or um, with this staying more focused? The research suggests there are three main areas that people struggle or that um, cause distractions or help make us lose focus. The first relates to uh, the university. The second relates to your supervisor. And the third is directly related to you as the PhD student. There are some other things in there that can lead to distractions as well, uh, particularly as we're talking about distractions that might ultimately prevent you from finishing your PhD or that might uh, perhaps increase your chances of finishing a PhD on time. So age uh, is one of the factors. Mature age students tend to complete their PhDs more than um, students who go straight through. Uh, gender, females tend to do a better job of completing their PhDs than males. Enrollment status, full-time or part-time. The data on this is actually switched. Uh, about 20 years ago, full-time students tended to complete more quickly. Now, part-time students are completing more quickly. And I think it's because what's happened is part-time students have probably now been perhaps women uh, and also uh, older. And as a result, they can, they're more effective at managing time and self and being able to complete more quickly. Uh, employment status. Full-time employees tend to complete more slowly. Outside support, so that's what your support next network is and how it works. People with more outside support tend to complete more quickly. And nationality, so that's not a case of um, particular nationalities being more or less likely to complete, but it's more a case of um, if you are an international student, then you're, it'll take a little bit longer for you to complete than compared to others. Um, in terms of the kinds of things that students experience throughout their PhD, uh, a lot of students, this is a nature survey, a lot of students um, throughout their PhD can change in terms of their level of satisfaction with their PhD. Uh, and so if your, PhD, your satisfaction with your PhD has increased or decreased since you first started, don't worry, you're in the, uh, you're normal, if that makes sense. If you look at the image on the right there, some people, um, satisfaction has increased, some people's decreased, and some people remain the same. So having a change in the way you feel about your PhD as you progress is not a problem either. It's quite usual for that to happen. 
some of the things that I think might contribute to you feeling less satisfied with your PhD is relating to your academic dreams and where you'd like to end up after your PhD. So despite all of the evidence that suggests PhD students will end up not working in academia, most people do a PhD to become an academic. And as much as hard as that pathway is, from my perspective, that's one of the best reasons to do a PhD. It's really, it's almost impossible to become an academic without a PhD. So if you're doing a PhD so you can become an academic, that's a useful thing to do it. In, in that sense, it's very much a vocational degree. Um, but I also feel like it's important to be realistic about your chances of becoming an academic long-term. And, and the data suggests about 5% max will remain in academia 10 years after they've finished their PhD. In Australia, 51% of students do a PhD, hoping to then go and work in the public sector. So there's lots of people that do different things. This is data from um, the UK. Um, it's a little bit old now, but nonetheless, it shows that half a percent of um, graduates end up going on to be a professor. This data was later corrected, and that number is more like 5%, but nonetheless, quite small. And the US data is about 2%. There isn't specific data for Australia. Uh, and as you might have expected, there are more um, graduates and there are academic jobs available. This is Australian data. Um, so the total number of PhD graduates has outnumbered the number of academic jobs available. So that doesn't take into account people who might be looking to come to Australia as an academic from overseas. Um, other things that might impact your um, desire to work are things like stress and anxiety. And you can see this is a table that shows the number of hours worked per week. And you see the majority of respondents work more than 40 hours a week. For those that don't know, the, the notional work week is 40 hours, which is eight hours of work for five days a week. And that's roughly what you should be doing for your PhD. Uh, most, if you're full-time, most, um, in fact, a number of universities, they allow one day free. So the amount of hours you should be putting in per week for a PhD student is about 32 uh, hours per week. Now, bear in mind, in terms of the calculation of eight hours a day, uh, if you take a lunch break, if you take a snack break of some kind, afternoon tea, morning tea, those are notionally outside work hours. Not that you do or you don't get paid. It's just the way that if we think about the, the idea of the eight-hour workday comes from eight hours work, eight hours rest, eight hours play. And if you're at work for eight hours, you might not do work for those entire eight hours. You'll use up some of your play hours in that time. Or if you're lucky enough and you've got a sleep pod, you use up some of your play hours as well. Um, in terms of how people feel with their mental health. This is probably the biggest issue or biggest factor, I think, in being um, distracted or losing focus on your PhD. Um, I've highlighted some of the words in this. So um, the blue highlighted words um, talk about think factors that relate to your supervisor or the research group that you're part of, or in my view, that relate to those things. The pink words, obviously, they're all university. They relate to the university um, role in those things. And the green words talk about you and your individual. So you can see that a lot of the things that might impact on your mental health are actually outside of you and you. So it's really important to know how these factors might impact you. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, later on. But if you have any questions, like I said, feel free to 
pop them in the chat or to open up your mic and ask. Um, so sometime in your PhD, um, or one third of students will seek help for anxiety or depression. Hopefully this isn't triggering for you, but if it is, please reach out to someone for help. Um, and if you need resources for that kind of help, feel free to send me a message. Um, I've got access to, or I know a lot of the resources that are in Australia, in Europe and in the US, because I've talked about these kinds of mental health issues before. Um, and you can expect that there's double the rate of mental health difficulties amongst PhD students compared to their age and education matched peers. So mental health is probably gonna be the biggest distraction, the biggest thing that takes you away from your PhD. Um, so that's a bit of the bad news. Um, in terms of today, like I said, um, we're recording. I do this kind of thing as workshops and whatnot for a living. So if you're interested in those kinds of things for your university or your department or your sector, let me know and I'm more than happy to come out and do something. Um, there's plenty of content on the website. We won't get, we probably won't get to go through everything that everyone wants to today. So if that's you, there'll be, I'll put some information up at the end about how you can get in touch. Um, I already said this is being recorded. The final thing is I tend to talk quickly. So if you miss what I say, or you think that I've mumbled, please feel free to ask me to go back and I'll repeat. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube or on the podcast, yeah, use fast forward, rewind diligently. Um, and if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like, subscribe, all of those kinds of things. If you'd like to get in touch with me, I'd love to hear from you. Um, LinkedIn is my favorite place, but um, if you're already connected with me on LinkedIn, then perhaps Twitter or even Facebook is somewhere that you might find useful. I know researchers have tend to be resistive to the use of Facebook, but I think it's quite a useful place. And I've got a group there that is all about what happens beyond your PhD. Um, so if you're interested in joining that, find that on Facebook and, and ask to join. If you've seen anything so far that you've taken a photo of and you're going to share it on social media, by all means, go ahead. I just would ask that you acknowledge me or acknowledge the source. And most of the data you saw previously was from nature.com. Uh, and again, if you want to share this with others, share the entire video or share parts of it, feel free to do that. But just acknowledge me as the source, please. Um, and like I said, I'm a career coach. I've been doing this for a little while. I started out as a PhD student and exchanged my, my uh, lab coat for a suit coat. And now I help researchers answer the question, what next? So I've seen a lot of PhD students get distracted over their time as a researcher. I'd love to know a little bit about you. So I've got a bit of a poll here. Um, I'd love if you responded to it, um, just to let me know where you're currently at in your career slash degree. And if your answer isn't there, feel free to let us know in the chat what you're doing. Cool. So you can see the majority of people are in the middle of their PhD. Some are hoping to submit. Some have just started. Thankfully, no one said, don't ask. Um, so let's talk about staying focused on your PhD, which is the main reason we're here. I think there are two things that I think that can really help you 
um, to regain focus when you might lose it. So the first is to understand this idea of why you're doing a PhD. So if you might have seen on TED, um, this guy, Simon Sinek, who did this thing about start with why, um, and that's where this all comes from. But if you know why you're doing a PhD, when you get distracted, when things get hard, when other things might seem like they're more important than your PhD, going back to why you're doing it can help put things into perspective, can help regain your focus. Um, does anyone have or want to, or is anyone willing to share the reason that they are doing a PhD? If you don't want to open your mic and chat, you can type it into the chat. I'm happy to share, Richard. Oh, thanks, Victoria. <laughs> yeah, look, <clears throat> it was always something that was at the back of my mind, but um, it was sort of pushed to the front of my mind when my research assistant contract was um, stymied because of COVID. So a yeah. scholarship came up, so I applied and was successful. Yeah. Okay, so a bit of income, I guess it sounds like. Yeah, in income yep. and interest, and yep. the, t the topic interested me as well because yep. I'm attached to a a, a um, real world real world project nominally yep. anyway. Yeah, nice. So a bit of an applied PhD. So someone's written in the chat. Thanks, Victoria. Someone's written in the chat to, for an, a decent job, and someone else has written to pursue my career in academia. So if when things are not going well or when you find you're getting distracted, coming back to this reason why you did a PhD might be a useful way of refocusing the next thing i think is to have a plan for your phd so a lot of phd um, courses now include a planning step as part of the enrollment process um, my experience is that the students do it somewhat begrudgingly and then that attitude towards planning is reinforced by their supervisor who says plans don't work in research you can't possibly plan research the problem is that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, I believe. So if you don't, if you have a plan, then you don't follow it, then of course the plan doesn't work. Um, whereas if you follow the plan if, or if you start to deviate away from the plan, you can work out, well, is this something that is a useful deviation and therefore I should change my plan? Or is this something that's not a useful deviation and therefore I should push back against it, say no and go back to something that is on my plan? Has anyone got a plan for their PhD? And, and if you're willing to share, what does it look like? Or, you know, how do you use it? Um, yeah. So no one's got a research plan for their PhD at all? When you say research plan, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, so what I'd imagine is you should have a rough understanding of what you're hoping to do in, let's say your PhD is going to be three or four years, what you're going to do in year one, year two, year three, and hopefully not year four, but that's your kind of contingency year, um, assuming you're working full time. So that's what I'm thinking about at the very highest level. Then at the next level down, you might say in year one, I'm going to divide that into three or four um, parts. Um, and this is what I'm going to do um, in those individual months. So the first three months, second three months, et cetera. 
yeah have you got something like that victoria no no yeah uh, probably a very top level and that's yeah. about it yeah and i think i think one of the reasons why phds um <laughs> cool. lots of people writing in they're broken down milestones into small parts so that's great to hear that some people have plans um, and some people are now going to work on it. I totally agree that COVID has probably killed a lot of people's plans. But if you haven't updated your plan in response to COVID, then it, your plan is going to continue to be useless. One of the really useful things of getting more detailed than this is what I want to do in year one, year two, year three, is because um, you can then potentially skip ahead. So let's say COVID happens um, and so you can't go out into the field and collect data or you can't go into the lab and collect data or whatever it might mean, then you might go, cool, in, that was what I wanted to do in year two. But in year three, I was going to start writing my thesis in year three. Now I can start doing some writing or I was going to write a literature review or finish off a literature review as part of year two. Let's make sure that I, and I was going to do that at the end of year two. Actually, you know what, now I'm going to bring that forward and do it now. So I think um, it's really important to have a plan and, like I said, constantly refer back to it. And then, like I said, it doesn't mean you have to stick to it all the time. If better things come along, if, um, like, you, like a lot of people have said, if COVID hits, then you need to readjust your plan um, and then focus on that. So that's, there are two things that can help you stay focused on your PhD. Um, the other thing that I think is really important is to try and keep yourself fresh. So PhDs are really intense um, times for people and not keeping yourself fresh, not taking regular breaks, not, you know, the equivalent of recharging your batteries is going to make staying um, focused really, really hard. So you need to work out what it is that recharges your battery. So for most people, one of those things will be sleep. Another one of those things will be eating healthy food. But what else helps you recharge your batteries? So for me, that's things like playing sport, playing music, listening to music, going for drives, going for walks, going for runs. All of those things are things that, yeah, going to the gym someone's written in, awesome. So there could be things that can help recharge your batteries. So your PhD needs to, be, like anything, it needs to be balanced. And if you want to have an academic career, continue let's and let's say your phd is all about the work then that's how you'll move into your academic career you will lose sight of other things that can help recharge your batteries so definitely at things like going to the gym mindfulness meditation is really um in vogue at the moment that's something that i've tried as well and that's been really useful at reducing my stress and anxiety which then can allow me to shift from not able to focus do some meditation, reduce the stress and anxiety that I might be feeling, and then work out what it is that I need to focus on. So some things that you can do. So now the, the other thing that as I started this presentation, it was all about the things that might distract you from your PhD. So let's talk about dealing with some of those. If you've got some other distractions that I don't mention, I'd love if you type them into the chat and we can deal with them specifically, or if you want to open up your mic and we can chat and we can deal with them specifically. So like I said, the three common distractions, uni, supervisor, and yourself. So the first thing we talked about mental health. And one of the things that is really important for maintaining mental health, and I'm sure you've seen this heaps, is this idea of resilience. 
or this idea of recovering from stress. So resilience is not always being happy or not being sad. Resilience is about being able to bounce back from these things. So you need to feel your feelings, but it's about not letting the feelings become, take over your life for extended periods and thus not being able to maintain a focus on your PhD. In order to build your resilience, it is something that you need to train for and with. So all of what's happened uh, for everyone across the world relating to COVID has probably built everyone's resilience. If we have a pandemic in another five years, we'll probably be able to deal with it very well, um, certainly better than we did this time. So training is really important. Um, but there are things that you can do that aren't specifically about dealing with stress that can help build your resilience. So the first is to think about the way that you're thinking about problems. So are you essentially catastrophizing? And that's really um, possible within a PhD. You could be thinking that I'm not good enough, um, et cetera. So think about, analyze your thinking, catch your thoughts, and then identify the unhelpful ones. So the first step in this is not to be judgmental, as in to analyze your thinking. The second step is still not being judgmental, but it's working out what's not helpful. So thinking that you're the only one with PA, with problems is not helpful. Thinking that you can't be a good researcher is not helpful. So you need to identify all the unhelpful thoughts and reframe them. So if you think about not being a good researcher, then that's not the case, but you are learning to be a better researcher. If you think about um, having issues, having mental health difficulties, you, you might be um, struggling with your own mental health, but know that this is quite common for people with um, going through the PhD process. As I mentioned before, mindfulness meditation is really important. It's one of the best things that you can do to increase your resilience and reduce your stress and anxiety. Scientifically, 45 minutes a day is what's been shown to have an impact. Uh, and the data on that suggests that 45 minutes can be split up into tiny, tiny little increments. So some people do what's known as a moment meditation, um, which goes for less than a minute or about a minute. And they do that lots of times each day. And that's a really useful way of becoming mindful. So being mindful is really easy to do. Um, so you might do something like right now while you're perhaps sitting at your chair or standing at your desk, you might wiggle your toes and focus on what that feels like. And that's a really useful way of being mindful. You might brush your teeth and focus on what the taste of the toothpaste is like, how the toothbrush feels in your mouth. Those are different ways of being mindful. Then there's the usual meditation way, which is, um, you know, focus on your breath, uh, those kinds of things. The next thing, scientifically, again, we know that looking on the bright side really helps you build your resilience. So lots of people maintain gratitude journals, uh, and that is some for some people it's daily practice of writing down or noting or documenting or bringing to mind a number of things that you um, feel like have been good for you that day so you don't necessarily some I don't like the idea of being grateful I'm not sure why it just really grates on me <laughs> which isn't good but I like to think about what were the good things that happened today so for me some good things that have already happened today is I've sat outside and I had um, tea in a really comfortable chair an egg chair if any of you don't have one get an egg chair they're so comfortable they're kind of suspended rather than propped up from the bottom um, and I had a cup of tea in the chair outside in the sun and that was really a lovely moment for me so remembering those things is a really useful way of increasing your resilience and again research shows 
that this is a useful way of increasing your resilience. And again, this is all about um, improving your mental health, which might then reduce your distraction, which might make you have, keep more focused. Having a balanced life is really important. So, you know, you can get distracted from your PhD by exercise or exercise can help you keep a balanced life. So you need to be mindful or aware of how that might be the case. Um, and finally, living in alignment with your values. So if you're doing work with animals, for example, in research, but you don't want to, that can be really hard and grating and, you know, constantly be a source of distraction for you. Um, so just be aware of what your values are and whether you're living in alignment with them. Are there any questions about the role of resilience and mental health in keeping you focused? Cool. If you think of anything, feel free to pop it in the chat. Um, so now supervisor issues. Um, so I think these are probably some of the bigger distractions that are harder to bat away. So things like new experiments, more experiments, more analysis, attend a conference, do a presentation. Has anyone got any other examples of distractions that might come from your supervisor? Cool, none really, no, no problem. And has anyone seen any, have experienced any of these distractions by the, not for providing feedback on time yet? Cool. And um, Varsha, um, how did that go? If you can open up your mic, that'd be great. It'll be quicker to chat. Um, I think Thank I'm you. just trying, to, it's Varsha, yeah. I'm just trying to say that uh, sometimes when you've got things lined up and you've already prepared and <laughs> done your drafts and sent it through and then the delay that takes in providing feedback, timely feedback can delay a lot of the processes, mm. whether it's publication or putting, or, or even just reviewing it and being able to then send it back to, you know, maybe another author or something like that yeah. can, can be quite, um, yeah, can be quite stressful. Yeah, 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 definitely. So some of the, uh, not everything is going to work. Thank you, Varsha, for talking. Is it? I presume I pronounced it correctly. Um, That's right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so one of the things that you can do around the timely provision of feedback is to raise your supervisor's awareness of when you might be likely to send them information. So let's say you're writing today and you're hoping to send something next week, then I would... Um, Go, off, go and say, I'm going to send you something next week. Do you have time to look at it? And if they say no, then you know that it's not worth sending it on to them because they're not going to have time to look at it. Um, but that can help them fit it into their schedule if you give them advance notice. The other thing that you can do is ask for when they might be able to respond back to you. Um, and hopefully that can help as well. And finally, chunking it up into smaller pieces. So I know personally, it would be really overwhelming for me to look at an entire thesis or an entire research paper, particularly at first go. Whereas if you send me a section or an, of it first up, that makes it easier for me to review. And it also can mean that a lot of the errors or not errors, a lot of the, the things that I might say to you need improvement in your work, they might all be evident in the first page of what it is that you've sent me. And so if you can send stuff early, you can perhaps get an idea of what it is your supervisor's um, looking for. 
some people, someone said that they spent a lot of time um, going down different lit review paths um, and, and they ended up not being relevant. And that's really hard because sometimes you go down a path looking for uh, new or additional information and no one's going to know whether or not that's useful until you find out that it is or that it isn't. Um, and so that can be a bit tough. Um, in terms of things like so someone's asked be, said being asked to do ra work and i guess if that's your if you're if you've got a job as a research assistant and a phd student i totally agree that can be really distracting one of the things you can potentially do is batch or block your time so these hours and days are my phd days these hours and days my ra days um, and you might need to be flexible on that but it also means that you can set expectations about when your supervisor might ask you to do PhD work versus RA work. <clears throat> um, if you're asked to do additional experiments, more experiments or more analysis, this goes back to the plan. So hopefully you've got a plan. Hopefully your supervisor says to you, yes, I agree with your plan. Um, and so when they come to you and say, can you do more experiments or more analysis or new experiments, you can ask them, how does it fit with the plan? And why, can you tell me a bit more about why you want me to do this? At the very least, you'll get a better understanding of why you're now being asked to do some more work. But what you're hoping will happen is that your supervisor will see that it is actually a distraction from the overall goal of completing your thesis. The other thing worth doing, let's say you're not interested in becoming an academic once you've done your PhD, um, a lot of what supervisors might be encouraging you to do are about being, preparing you to be a good academic. So yes, it is really awesome to publish some work as a PhD student, but if you don't want to be an academic, then the value of that publication to you as a student is a lot less than someone who does. So you might want to say that to your supervisor that you're more than happy to be involved in the publication process, but to you, finishing your PhD is more important than finishing with, with a publication. Um, cool. So the, the best thing in terms of supervisor distractions is think about your plan and how what they might be asking you to do is in line with your plan and then readjust your plan accordingly. Uh, and sometimes showing them how much work you have left to do or you still need to do can be a way of showing to them actually there's a lot that you've already got and we don't need additional information or additional experiments or maybe we can get rid of some. If you have any questions or need any help with that, please pop them in the chat or open up your mic. So now university distractions, um, coursework. And I think in some respects, you'll have to do that. So there's no choice there other than perhaps choosing what kind of coursework you might do. Confirmation of candidature. Again, that can seem like a big distraction um, or it could be a big stress for you that you're struggling to focus on. Again, if that if the confirmation of candidature is causing you stress and anxiety and you can't focus on getting it done, but you're getting distracted from it, not by it, then again, thinking about what the confirmation of candidature means, how it's going to improve your PhD, because for the most part, even though these are called confirmation of candidature, the idea is about helping and improving your PhD. It's not generally not about saying you can't complete. It's about having a, a bunch of people who aren't directly related to your PhD help you, and in some cases help your supervisor ensure that you keep making meaningful progress. 
So use this as an opportunity to improve your PhD rather than to think it's a gate through which I must, or if I don't pass, there'll be a big issue. Other progress reports on um, that you might need to submit as a result of your candidature might also be a university distraction. Has anyone been distracted by anything else from the university in relation to their PhD? Yeah, faculty and in-house research, yeah, workshops and seminars. Um, so there are some good things and some bad things about those and you'll need to work out what the good things are for you. Um, so for example, hearing another PhD student talk about their research probably is really useful because you'll get an understanding of where people are at in terms of their presentation skills and their research activity. Um, hearing another faculty member from an entirely different department talk about their research might not be useful because the research might not be relevant to you, but it might be useful because you'll get to see how different people present their research. Um, and I'm sure you've seen many, um, many uh, academics present their work um, and ha have other academics in the same presentation doing other things. And I know that that was a common thing when I did my PhD, that students would take in other work that they might do if the presentation didn't work out to be um, of interest or of value to them. Research admin, so that I'm guessing that would be like ethics, Varsha? Uh, yeah, ethics grant applications. And yes. I think a lot of the other stuff, which is on the side and you just got to email people relevant to study, but they do take yes. up a lot of time as well. They do take up heaps of time and there's it's really hard to work out what it is, what the right thing to do is. The, I think that in those instances, if you're not experienced doing those things, asking for help is really important. And even if you are experienced, asking for help is going to help you get through a lot of these things. So um, one, of the, one of the things that I've learned about writing for myself is that um, the more stressed I get about writing, the more writing makes me stressed. And so if you can have locations and situations that can help calm you and make writing or make doing this work easier, then you can potentially move out of this, um, this idea that, um, or these, this loop that means that writing equals stress and stress equals writing. So maybe changing your setting in some instances might be a useful way of, um, of getting back focused is on what you need to do. Yes, following up paper paperwork tests. So that's really hard. And I don't know what the answer to that is um, other than, again, like I said before, in terms of batching research assistant work and batching PhD student work, you might batch um, when you follow up on paperwork. Um, so the other thing that, that I spoke about at the start and what impacts your ability to complete is this idea of age, gender, enrollment status, employment status, outside support and nationality. And you can see the one thing that I've hi highlighted here is out su outside support. So as best I'm aware, you pretty much can't do anything about your age or your gender. Um, certainly you can't do anything about your sex. Um, you can't do much about your enrollment status or your employment status or your nationality, but you might be able to do something around outside support. So when I say outside support, I'm talking about things like a pit, what you might consider a pit crew, a bunch of people who aren't responsible for driving your PhD, but who are helping you along the way. So they might just be a sounding board. So that could be another PhD student in another research group 
who the two of you are just happy to talk about the problems you face with your PhD. It could be your um, family and friends, as I've kind of put that silhouette image there of um, family. They might be the people who you who were there supporting you, who were saying to you, oh, look, Richard, you're working far too hard at the moment. This whole month you've been working on the weekend. It's time we went and did something fun. And when people say that kind of stuff to you, then maybe it is time to refresh and recharge your batteries rather than thinking that the idea of solely being focused on your PhD is the way to win this game. Um, it could be other people in your research group, like a, you know, a, your synchronized swimming team, other people that help you get stuff done. I learned a lot from watching other people build and perform their experiments. Um, and so I would see how people would batch things and, um, and how they would shortcut things and what shortcuts led to quicker outcomes and what shortcuts led to quicker outcomes, but worse outcomes, less reliable ones. Um, so that's a useful thing to do. Um, and then you might just have people who are like, you know, in the army and they're in the trenches with you. Um, they're in your, in the, actually in your research group. And it's just good to have a good um, bitch or a moan every now and again about how hard things are or how your supervisor is not the best supervisor and how you wish you had a different supervisor. Um, and mind you, the only reason I'm picking on supervisors is because I think we all have this feeling that we could do better than this current supervisor. And that might be the truth for you. But I also feel like uh, it's, it's a real common issue amongst PhD students. It just feels hard because your supervisor has an unenviable role of kind of telling you when you've done things wrong. And, they, and I think I've said this before about academia that we're really good at finding the problems in everything. You know, a grant is a problem that needs to be solved. A journal article presents a solution to a problem, but then pro proposes a bunch of other problems so that you can just, not justify, but so that you can say, this is what I want to do next. So this is what, this is the support area that I think you need to focus on. Does anyone have a support team outside um, the university or outside their PhD that they lean on and that they'd like to share or that they are happy to share? Nothing structured, Richard, yeah. but definitely have a husband who you can probably see in the background there, <laughs> <laughs> who would pull me up, I think, if things got off track. Yeah. Um, but I do have a group of friends who are actually people who work in the arena in which I'm researching. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of, it's more research related than, than personal well-being related. Yeah. Staying in touch with them. And we do talk about those kind of issues as well. It's really yeah. useful. So I think groups like that are really useful. Um, there's research shows that if you work in a group of, of like-minded peers that you make better progress and you're more satisfied with your progress. Um, yeah, so VG's written to everyone. I'd be happy to be PhD buddy for someone, focus, help each other read, etc. So if you're interested in doing something like that, I'm more than happy to help people on this call in this group get connected to each other. Um, because of privacy, I won't share all of your details to everyone else. But if you write to me either um, in the chat or direct message in the chat or on social media and say you'd like to be involved in something like this and you're happy to share your information with others who are the same, I'll make it all happen for everyone who says yes.
Um, that's everything that I wanted to cover. Um, are there any other questions that people have? No, cool. Um, so I, as well as organizing that informal group that I'm happy to make happen, um, I run a bunch of other groups focused on journal writing, thesis writing, and social media. Um, if you're interested in knowing more about those programs, I've just put up a poll. If you respond to the poll, I'll make sure that you get information about those programs. In indicating that you'd like to be involved is not um, anything other than an indication. So there's, it's not committing to doing this kind of work uh, or it's not committing to pay or anything like that. Um, there's also some other things that I do as well, audits for people around what it is they might be doing, job search, thesis, social, et cetera. So if that's something that interests you. Thanks everyone who's typing directly to me to join the buddy group. Um, I've got LinkedIn as well, a LinkedIn course to help people with industry engagement if that's something you're interested in. And I've got a book relating to the same thing if you'd like to hear more about that. Um, what else is going on? So next week we're talking about managing research projects that might be useful for you as a PhD student. Uh, then we're talking about building high performance teams the week after. And then two weeks after that, we're looking at one page project management, which is a specific tool that I use to help manage projects. And it might be useful to you as a PhD student to keep the, the management of all these things small. If you need to have a tough conversation with your supervisor about the workload, I've done a workshop and a, and a blog about that. Go and check that out. Um, I also did a workshop and a blog about tough conversation with your students, which was attended by supervisors, obviously. Um, and they had some really good questions and really good comments. So I think it's if you're interested, I would head over to that video as well and have a watch or a listen of that. You'll get a bit of insight into what your supervisor might be thinking when they're asking you to do stuff, which is I, I felt it, was, it would be quite insightful as a student to learn and know that. Um, thanks, everyone, for your time. We're going to finish three minutes early. So there, that's my gift to you, an additional three minutes. Apologies to those who um, registered and added the event in their diary and had it as being all day. That was my programming issue, not your issue. So sorry about that. Um, if, you're, if you like this video or this podcast, if that's how you're watching or viewing, please like, subscribe and share. Um, and I'll see you at the next one of these or on social media. Thanks, everyone. Bye.